0: Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world, one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message.
1: So, uh, Judge Not is one of the most popular Bible verses in our culture. One of the most popular quoted of Jesus, and it's often the most misunderstood, the most misquoted, and certainly the most abused verse in our culture. Why? Because it's something that you can say uh, as a way of keeping religion as private, or it's something that you do that allows for morality to be relative, so you can't tell anybody that what they do is wrong or what they believe is wrong. Our religious and moral beliefs, therefore, in our culture, when we use it wrongly, become more like preferences. It's kind of like chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. And everybody knows vanilla is better, right? Especially when it's on apple pie. Or, yeah, yeah, it is, right? Apple pie, pumpkin pie, vanilla is always better. It's awesome. So, you know, uh, people who use this verse say, Who are you to say I'm wrong? Who are you to judge me? Doesn't the Bible say, judge not? It's kind of like this Willy Wonka quote. We hate feeling inferior or hate people who seem perfect. Yet on the other hand, we find judging entertaining, and we actually pay people to judge so we can laugh at them. Like Judge Judy, this Judge Judy quote, uh, if I could find you for being stupid, I would find you for being stupid. Right? Or how about this Judge Judy quote, I'm not here to judge, I'm just here pointing out all the mistakes you make. I mean, what does Jesus really mean when he says, judge not?
0: Well, in the message two weeks ago, Um, we discussed that Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And in that message, we focused on what it means when Jesus says, love your neighbor, which includes your enemies, those that you really dislike or hate or who treat you poorly. So we don't write people off. And why? Because it's like God has put this really huge, high price tag on each person. And therefore, we don't get to belittle someone else because each person bears his image. Because who are we to treat them As something less valuable than God did by sending Jesus to pay this ultimate price for their redemption. So we are to hang the same price tag on each person that Jesus does. We elevate the value of each person, and that is how we start loving our enemy.
1: Today, as we continue to walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see how Jesus expands this kind of love by looking at one of the most recognized statements Jesus ever made. It's found in Matthew 7 1. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. But we got to continue to look at the context, so let's keep reading. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then Jesus goes on and says this, he says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. That's kind of like, ouch, this is powerful, straight up Jesus, right? He goes right at the core heart of the heart issues of of how we view ourselves and how we treat others, along with telling us not to judge. Jesus refers to some people as dogs and pigs, and it kind of seems contradictory, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, we struggled over this message, um, because for some, this message is a harder ask than it is for others, right? Particularly this week, some who have consistently tried to turn the other cheek, to live trying to love well and feel like all that they do, it just doesn't seem to make any difference. And for them, this message is particularly difficult. But while this is hard stuff that Jesus is having us wade through, it's also the best possible news that we can hear. And Why? Because Jesus knows how to do relationships well, even when it seems like things are never going to change. Jesus knows how to navigate through the complexity of all humans, of all our motives and assumptions and our behaviors, and how we can still love well. So what does it mean when Jesus says, judge not? Now, he can't mean that you'll never tell someone that they're wrong, because Jesus spent much of his ministry doing just that, defining what was right and wrong. Just a few verses above this, Jesus tells the huge crowds, in chapter in verse 13 enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many these for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few i don't know about you but that does not sound like well whatever you believe is fine you know like who am i to judge
1: so later in matthew 22:29 jesus tells a group of people point blank you are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. In John 7, 7, Jesus characterizes his whole life saying, the world hates me because I testify that it, its works are evil. So Jesus doesn't take a fair attitude and about anything goes, who am I to judge? He definitely points out things that are wrong and evil. So let, let me ask you, what would be your response to someone in our church that you knew and were close friends to who left their spouses and their children and moved in to have an affair with the person they were having an affair of? Would you make a judgment about the rightness or wrongness of their choice? So going back, directly back to the scripture we read, if Jesus doesn't want us to make judgments about actions being right or wrong, then why does he want us to notice the speck of sin in our brother's eye and remove it? See, Jesus doesn't say, hey, if having a speck in your eye works for you, then who am I to judge? No, the speck matters. It's serious. So what does it mean
0: to do not judge? The Greek word judge means to make moral judgments, where we say something is right or wrong. But it doesn't fully capture what that meaning is. It also clearly carries the meaning to make condemning or despising judgments, where we say that we're superior and someone else is inferior. So think back to the spouse that Ross mentioned, who left their family um, for an affair. So when Jesus says don't judge, He's saying, he's not um, He's not saying don't address this, it's sin. He is saying that we don't condemn or despise them. We don't look down on them, treat ourselves as superior to them, even in their sin. Because what a brilliant image that Jesus gives us, right? It's like he's going for this laugh. Jesus acknowledges that others have flaws. They can be selfish and stupid. But before you ever look at taking out their speck, you have to look at the huge log in your own eye. And Jesus wants us to assume that our vision is impaired. Um, in seeing our own issues clearly, we, we are impaired, as well as we don't always see other people clearly as well. We can't assume, especially when it comes to someone's motives and what's in their heart. So with this metaphor, Jesus is, is wanting us to assume our issues are way more serious than the other person's. And so before we ever have a conversation with someone about their behavior, we take a good look at our.
1: So here are some clues that you might be very well judging with condemnation. If you have thoughts in your mind where I feel superior to them, I think I'm better, I think I'm smarter, I think I'm wiser, you say things like, well, I'd never leave my spouse, I'd never do that, or or you don't grieve for them and long for them to repent or be restored. You, you, you feel almost a sense of pride thinking about what they did because it makes you feel better about who you are or... I feel good about myself and talking about them with others because I feel better about myself. It's like Jesus is placing this neon red blinking sign over others saying, Caution, judge at your own risk because with the measure we judge, so we will be judged. We're to give serious pause and examine ourselves before we say anything. I mean, Jesus is not saying throw away your moral compass or your critical thinking about moral behaviors because becoming a follower of Jesus means that we are growing in our ability to make moral judgments, discerning more and more clearly between what's wrong, what's good, and even what's best. And that requires judgment. A few verses below the passage that says don't judge, Jesus tells us to use discernment in judging the fruit that comes from people's lives. He says, every healthy tree bears good fruit and every bad diseased tree bears bad fruit. In saying, don't judge, Jesus is saying, we shouldn't dismiss a person because of what they say or do. We don't condemn them. We can disagree, but we still value them as a person. I mean, John three seventeen, God says he didn't send Jesus to contempt, condemn the world, but to save it. See, there's a huge difference between speaking a difficult truth that's saying this is wrong, and condemnation you're bad i don't want you around anymore i've given up on you so jesus tells us truths about our sin yet brings us close to him he made us sinners it says his friends
0: and jesus definitely puts these principles to practice with his own group of his closest friends and followers i mean when you look at the disciples there's such diversity right you have four fishermen you have a tax collector who had a career of extortion you had a zealot who advocated throwing off the Roman rule by any means necessary, and we know that they fought over who was the greatest among them. So, along with these disciples, we also have to, there was a larger band of followers, of men and women like Mary Magdalene, who was an outcast, and Joanna, the wife of one of the high officials in King Herod's court. So, this group of rabble rousers were different socioeconomically, geographically, they came from different places, politically, and they all pushed back on the current culture with widely varying ideas. I mean, can you imagine how complicated it was to do relationships with all these people? How many ways they could have disagreed? I mean, their dinner conversations had to have been quite colorful, right? But Jesus brought them together purposefully, and he didn't want people to think all alike or to look all alike. Jesus knows people, and he knows it's going to be really messy. And it was these individuals who Jesus trusted to build the church And he trusts us too, a diverse group of people, to build his church, knowing that we're going to have disagreement.
1: So here are some additional signs uh, that you may be judging in a condemning, dismissive way. Uh, You are more enraged at someone else's sin than you are embarrassed by your own. Now that's a direct quote from J.D. Greer. We borrowed it from him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian who was killed trying to stop Hitler, which in itself means he was judging Hitler's behavior, said one of the first signs of a christian maturity is frustration with the hypocrisy of the church and a desire to separate from it but then he goes on and says yet the next sign of growth is recognizing that the same hypocrisy in the church is present in oneself in yourself so we do have conversations with others about sin while being painfully aware and honest with our own those kinds of conversations and relationship as the church, help us to actually be followers of Jesus. Second, you know you are judging in a condemning way if you, you cut off those who disagree with you. You cancel them. When you disagree strongly with someone over something like faith or morality or politics and because you can't agree, you cut them off and you cancel them, you say in essence, we can't really be friends if we disagree on this issue. You're judging with condemnation. See, the ultimate statement of judgment is Depart from me. You have to love a person more than you love your position on a particular issue. That doesn't mean you compromise your position or fail to state it. However, it does mean you stay committed to loving those who passionately disagree with you. I mean, the best example of this is Jesus with Judas. Even after Judas had betrayed him, Jesus greets him when he comes to him in the garden and says, Friend, why have you come? Friend. I mean, Jesus offers the hand of friendship to Him and to us even when we betray Him. How can I say, depart from me to someone else when God doesn't even say that to me? So Judge Judy says this kind of unchristian judgment when she says, if you were the trophies at the end of the race, I would walk backwards, she says. Humanity is Jesus' trophy. And He didn't walk backward. He walked toward us. Even when we crucified him. Cutting off, canceling people who disagree communicates they are hopeless. And if God can raise someone from, from the dead, no one is hopeless.
0: And I know many of us are struggling with looking at the road in front of us as a nation and thinking, like, this is looking impossible. The divides are just way too great. And yet here, Jesus is telling us one major way of living that's going to help us shift things. And it's how we do relationships with one another incredibly challenging i mean you navigate this as much as i do but um two things that i heard this last week one christian friend was saying a political candidate had more dirt than blood running through his veins and went on to continue to make disparaging comments because they knew that the motives of his heart were evil um another christian friend on the other side of the political friend said well anyone who believes in the opposite political platform they're not acknowledging god and therefore As Roman 1 says, um, God is going to give them up to a debased or depraved mind. Basically saying that whole group of people are hopeless and just to give up on them. Now, I love both of these people, and I know that they feel like they are fighting for truth and for God. But in this process, what do we do? I mean, it's grievous, and we stay stuck. So if we, as a church, cannot disagree without judging and condemning ways, we are not going to reflect the essential truth about who God is. Because even if either side, I heard from this last week, they were right in their judgment, they are both wrong in how they judge and by cutting off relationship. Jesus said in John 13 that the world will know us by our love, right? A love that is not wimpy, and it's a love that speaks up, and a love that doesn't make assumptions about someone else's character, a love that doesn't push people away even when they disagree, a love that doesn't have us... Like imagining Jesus next to us and looking at the one that we differ with and assuming that God is agreeing with us, right? And and sort of like Jesus is saying, yes, I agree with you, Wendy. They are so lame. You know, I agree. Um, You're so right about that person. It's not, it's not, it's not that way. You know, a third way that you know that you're judging in a condemning way is when you stay silent and never share your concerns with others. Now notice that Jesus does not end this short teaching by saying, Don't have hard conversations with each other and walk away if it gets difficult. Rather, Jesus says, do some serious self-reflection first so you can more clearly see to help take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's a misinterpretation of Jesus' words if you do what our culture encourages us to do and not share concerns with someone that you know and that you have a relationship with. So are, are you not sharing because you don't like conflict and it's just more comfortable to stay quiet? Or do you think that they just aren't going to change, so why bother? Well, well, that's a judgment in itself, right? One that writes people off is as hopeless. It's something that God doesn't do. So if we stay silent because we think someone is hopeless, or if we are afraid of a difficult or awkward conversation, then we're saying we're okay with them suffering major consequences for their sins. Passivity is not a spiritual virtue. And we want to be wise and compassionate before we speak, um, but to not speak at all is horribly dangerous and unbiblical. Passivity destroys relationships. And in fact, research shows that the four main indicators of the destruction of a marriage, um, one of them is being silent, being passive, to withdraw. Passivity may look nice. I've been more hurt by people being passive in their, in their actions and their words than by anything else.
1: But Jesus ends this not judging point by giving us a little more clarity on how we do relationships. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Is Jesus saying those who disagree with us are dogs and pigs? It's perhaps a crass example, but let's look at what a dog really cares about. He cares about trees and fire hydrants, right? What do pigs care about? They care about food and a nice relaxing mud bath. I mean Jesus is saying don't give something that's valuable to someone who doesn't see it as valuable. A pig doesn't care about pearls. It'll eat them, it'll enjoy them in the mud, but it won't treat them as valuable. So what is Jesus telling us? He's telling us to be thoughtful of who we're talking to and particularly what's valuable to them. We can't uh, uh, we, we can't think we're able to come into uh, to relationships with guns blazing, spouting Jesus teaching and think that we're going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us. We have to assess what is valuable to the person we're talking about talking to and take a different tactic. We change how we present what we present people.
0: Yeah. I mean, we don't want to unnecessarily provoke hostility, right? I mean, as a counselor, I was taught to look to see where people are the customer. What do they want? What do they value? What do they want to change? So often I'm really surprised because their focus is different like what I would focus on. Yet the Holy Spirit is incredibly powerful, very present, stirring things up for people to change. To so listen for what they're invested in changing. Um, and we need to speak into each other's lives in a way that they can hear. You know, I'm a Christian today because people chose to have some challenging conversations with me. And God continues to use others in my life to help me, help shape me. Yet those conversations didn't come out of anywhere. And they're built on a very critical truth. We need to have relational bridges built that are strong enough to bear our words. Build bridges are built by trust—trust trust that they can trust our credibility, our intentions, and our motives. Because the heavier the load, the heavier the word, the stronger that bridge needs to be. And our problem is that we like to take a huge semi-truck load of Jesus's truth and and bring it over a tiny little rope bridge, right? And that is going to make a really big mess. People can handle a semi-load of truth, truckload of truth, when we build a stronger bridge. So the first step of building a stronger bridge with others is what we talked about two weeks ago, when we just said pray first. You know, Jesus said pray for those who persecute you. You know, we lift them up in prayer. We ask God to bless them in their health and their finances, with their talents, that God would bless their children, that they would know God and follow God. But a second step um, in building a stronger bridge that's been really helpful for me is to be aware of your values and how they may be violated. Um, There's an author named Steve Kuss and he writes, you know when your values are violated when something absolutely drives you insane or nuts. like, And you have this unreasonable response to somebody. It's when you expect others to share that same value that you have and when they don't, it is incredibly frustrating. I mean, you are triggered, right? So
1: here's an example. As a dad, I found my values as a, of a strong farmer's work ethic growing up on farms and giving respect to authority to be triggered when my kids wouldn't uh, clean up after themselves. I'd get irritated. I would take their lack of cleaning up as a lack of respect for me and laziness and when in actuality they're not trying to disrespect me at all. They have different values and their timetable of when they'd cle- like to clean was different than mine. Now, certainly values can and need to be shaped, right? But start by recognizing the differences. It was important for me to be aware that my values that were seeming to be violated, that that would get me so angry, weren't actually being violated by them. Because in my head I was going to this place of frustration and anger because of their lack of respect, which leads to walls being put up between myself and my kids when there really didn't need to be any walls between us.
0: You know, having your values violated or disregarded can lead us to then judging other people. Because you start to categorize this person, you make a more two-dimensional than a more three-dimensional, fully alive human, you know. So for me, a, a more safe example of how easily I can judge, which I can do a lot of judging, sadly, but it easily happens when I'm driving. You well, know, last week, I was trying to be respectful and obey the laws. I got into the correct lane with, when trying to navigate all this construction. And then there was just a slew of other drivers that kept coming up on the side of the road, and they just expected to emerge into the the one lane we were supposed to be in, despite the fact that they hadn't waited the 20 minutes that I did. And so what my thoughts were like, who are you to think your time is more valuable than mine? You know, wait your turn, dude. Um... I don't know, was it more than two? It, it. was a lot. Yeah, yes. I was, don't let them get that. in, Ross, you know, so anyway. Um, but my value of respect, it was violated, and it led me to judge every one of those drivers as inconsiderate and selfish. You know, like, having those conversations in your head with someone who caused you frustration or pain, um, like in your mind, you defend yourself, and then you unload all these points that you wish you could really say to them, these truths that are so good. Um, and you know, and then at the end of it, in your mind, they, they all of a sudden they apologize in this anger fantasy that you have, and they see the error of their ways and they declare, oh my goodness, Wendy, you are right. I was wrong. You're like, anyone do that? Anyone? No, no. Okay. But anger fantasies are a way of processing your thoughts and feelings. And it's, but it's dangerous when we dehumanize, um, a person in our mind, when we strip them of their uniqueness of who they are. It's dangerous because we often see ourselves as better than them, right? Taking on, this is the self-righteousness that Jesus is talking about when he says you have a telephone pole in your own eye. And so it's like those assumptions I made about the drivers, they're so self-centered and thoughtless. Um, It's so much, um, I'm so much better than they are. I would never be that disrespectful. But when the truth is, they could have just not understood that they needed to merge or something else. I'm still working on it. (laughs) Um, But self-examine means... um, what values in those anger fantasies do you sense are being violated or threatened
1: this happens every day in politics in judging that one side is whatever we want to label them and reducing them to two dimensions demonizing them it's our tendency to be self righteous every single one of us to gain security through feeling we are self righteous standing before god instead of standing before god and getting our right standing with him through the gospel of jesus the insidious nature of self-righteousness for us all is, you don't even realize you're being self-righteous. You actually think you're right and better than other the other people. That's why we need to stay aware of our values and work to not be judgmental. See, the issue is not about our values, but about our motive. Are we condemning or dismissing the other person? One of the most important lessons that comes from self-examination is, is we actually see a mirror that shows that what I'm really irritated with or detest in this other person is is really what I detest and I'm irritated with in myself. I mean, arrogant people can drive me crazy, but it's a mirror to my own soul of my own arrogance and my own insecurity. Here's a valuable assignment, I think, for all of us this week. Make a list of your values. What are they? Promptness, work ethic, fun, honesty, directness, caring? I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, make a list. Then look at each person who has been driving you crazy lately and see what values have been violated. See, unless you're aware of your values, you will find yourself pushing people away who have violated your values. And when you push others away, you won't have the ability to help bring change because you are no longer connected to them. We're not saying that you absolutely have to change your values or lower your values. It's about knowing your values first. What we are saying is don't let your values stop you from connecting in relationship to other people.
0: The third, the third step in building a stronger bridge is seeing each other as allies versus enemies. So when we are trying to resolve conflict, we have to change our perspective. It's, so I want to take a, an example from marriage. You know, here's something that I might hear. Well, she'll say, well, how do you not see it my way? Like, you're just too stubborn to admit the truth. And then he'll say, well, are you kidding? I mean, that's not what happened at all. How can you see that? You know, I'm right. You're wrong. Just admit it. You know, they're at an impasse, right? Who's right? Who's wrong? So to take a major step in resolving conflict in any kind of relationship, we have to see each other as allies rather than enemies in a battle, especially as Christians. I mean, we all wear the same jersey. So how do we try to see each other as less as enemies and more like allies? The one visual um, that is that can be helpful is seeing that we're both like currently on separate islands and there's this really murky water separating us. Now, instead of trying to fix or change the other person, we turn our energy and we focus more on cleaning up that murky water. Cleaning always begins with seeking to understand. What are the issues, what are the values that are below the surface of this murky water that help us understand what is really going on? And we do the work of traveling to the other person's island, we work to see the problem from their vantage point, right, from their perspective, and staying stuck on our own island and throwing these verbal rocks at them like that's going to change anything. We may discover that our values are actually quite similar. The way that we want to see it done may not may be different, or we may not agree at all. But if we can understand, it is so much easier to find a potential solution.
1: I know this has been a heavier topic. It's a critical one, but it's heavy nonetheless. I mean, how can each of us apply what we've talked about today? I want to encourage each of us to ask these questions What kinds of people do you judge? And what values do you find being violated in those situations? And how might naming those values improve your capacity to love and serve other people? Another question. How has being triggered with values violation or judgment affected your ability to be present with someone and love them well? How has it blocked your capacity to see where God is at work in their lives? Would you just join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for the incredible grace and, and love that you pour out on us when you when we violate your values, uh, when when we judge you, God, and when we judge others. Lord, I pray... You would help us take a look at the telephone pole in our eyes and help us strengthen the relational bridges that You've placed us in so that we can have those conversations that allow us all to come to Your truth and to follow You and uh, most of all, Lord, to experience Your grace and Your love, Your forgiveness, and Your drawing, and he- drawing healing power. Lord, that through us, taking these simple steps... That you would begin to heal the divides in our family, in our church, in our community, in our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.